Well, if you were here last week, I informed you that I would be preaching each week through the summer with the Bible readings for all of those of you who have picked up one of these at the beginning of the year to read through the New Testament in a year. There's five chapters a week, gives you a weekend to catch up on the ones you fall behind on, but that's what we're going to be doing. So I encourage you, if there are some more of these uh, laying out in the foyer on the little table right outside the door. It's never too late to get started. Just pick up where we're at. This week we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2 verses and, and chap, through chapter 6. And uh, next week then we will be reading Acts chapter 7 through 11. So I just encourage you to uh, participate and, and follow ahead. And, and the v- VCC blog, Pastor Casey, each day puts on the blog some comments about that particular chapter that we are all to be reading. So I'd encourage you to check out the blog, too. Um, I'm looking through my notes, and after reading Casey's blog, I think I stole some stuff from her. So that's good. I'm glad glad she's doing that. The title of my message this morning is Acts, but the unstoppable mission of the church. The unstoppable mission of the church. When we look into the book of Acts, what we really see revealed more than anything else is the power of, of the church. And when I say the church, that's us, the body of believers, the bride of Christ. And the power of the church is the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in each one of us. And as we look at the book of Acts, I think you're going to be able to see maybe in new and fresh ways just how much of the work of advancing the kingdom is done by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, you might find out that all of it is done by the Holy Spirit through willing vessels, us. You know, so many churches, and I hear this quite often, and I praise God that I do not feel like we are in this group of churches, but you hear about churches referred to this way, uh, they're dwindling down to nothing. It's just a dry, dead church. There's no life in that church. There's no power in that church. It just seems like it's just totally irrelevant. It has no influence whatsoever. There's no witness of the power, the goodness, the grace, the love of God in that church. Now, I'm not saying that about any particular church, but I do know churches are closing every single day in the United States, and the number of them is astounding. And most of them, many, many of them, are just barely hanging on. And I think the reason that we see that taking place are those things that I just mentioned. And when you see that happening, I think a good place that a church should turn is to the book of Acts. And when you look at the book of Acts, we would go there with a sense of expectation, returning to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in particular, a sense of expectation, living the teaching of the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, that's where the church began. That was the beginning of Christ's church. When we look at the book of Acts, imagine this for a moment if you could. If you took the book of Acts out of the Bible, it would be really confusing from there on out. When the Gospels come to a conclusion, what do we have? We have a group of believers, a relatively small group of believers, sitting in Jerusalem the center of the Jewish religion. 
waiting and talking about this thing called the kingdom of God. And then we go and open up the next book of the Bible would be Romans. There's no Acts. And if you came to Romans, the next thing you'd see would be this guy that's not mentioned once in the Gospels, not once, writing letters, writing letters to a church in Rome, of all places, this place of of paganism. And he's writing letters and he's saying something about we are going to continue to advance to all the ends of the earth. And you'd go, oh my goodness, something must have happened between the gospel and the book of Romans. And boy, did it ever. And what happened was the book of Acts. The church was birthed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Most of our Bibles, if you look at the book of Acts, you probably have the Acts, and maybe underneath it, something like of the apostles. Oftentimes it's referred to the Acts of the apostles. If you read the book of Acts, you could almost narrow it down and say, well, all the apostles, I don't hear too much about all of them, but boy, Peter and Paul are talked about a lot. So it could be the Acts of Peter and Paul. Or you could take it even further and say, it should really be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is by far and away the star of the show in the book of Acts. We could even take it a little further in naming the book. We could call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit continuing the work that Jesus began while he was incarnate as man on earth. When you look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Luke is writing this and he says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, in other words, the first letter I wrote, the first gospel, the book of Luke, he says, the first letter I wrote, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After, notice this, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. He wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke about the work that Jesus began to do. And now he's writing the book of Acts. And I believe what we're seeing is just a continuation of the work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through the church. And that's us. We are the church. Acts is an account, when you read through it, of the way the Holy Spirit came into the church, continuing what Jesus did and continuing to work. We begin to see real application to a major exchange that took place that Paul writes about. It is no longer I that live. What? It is Christ who lives in me. Christ who lives in me by the Holy Spirit. We see this exchange manifesting in the church. So when we read the book of Acts, we need to continually remind ourselves, we're the church. You're the church. And the commands in there for the church are for us to fulfill. In chapter 1, they're waiting in obedience to what Jesus told them to do. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. 
because the promise, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when he comes, he is going to come with power. And you will be my disciples, starting here in Jerusalem and going all the way to the ends of the earth. Wait for the power, the Holy Spirit, to come. The power, why did they have to wait? Because it was absolutely and is absolutely necessary to carry out the Great Commission. We sometimes get in the flesh and think it's our job to carry out the Great Commission. Let me rephrase it. It's not our job to carry out the Great Commission. We are to make ourselves available so that the Holy Spirit can carry out the Great Commission. My availability and my obedience is going to allow the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission, to go and make disciples in all nations. We try and do it in our own. It gets really frustrating. Wear ourselves out. We might have a little fruit. But if we just make ourselves available, and sometimes we have a problem with that because we think we're not worthy. We're not smart enough. We're not educated enough. We're not trained enough. We're not experienced enough. I'll let somebody else do it. Shoot, I'll let Pastor Mike and Pastor Bob. They're called pastors. Well, let me tell you something. Pastor Bob and Pastor Mike are no better at carrying out the Great Commission than anybody else in this room. We have the same Holy Spirit if we make ourselves available for him to carry out the work. When we think of the Great Commission, we sometimes focus on just the first part. In Matthew chapter 28, where we read the Great Commission starting at verse 18. It says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And oftentimes our mind stops there, but the Scripture doesn't. The Great Commission, go, make disciples, yes, 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 and all nations, yes, But look at the last part. It says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, and I am with you. Go, so the Holy Spirit can work through you. Go, I'm going with you everywhere you go. I'm going to be going, and I will be faithful to complete the work that I called you to do. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 24, it says, the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. Not that he will help you do it. He will do it. He's faithful if he's called us. And we've been called. You have been called to fulfill the Great Commission. You and I have been called to go and make disciples of all nations, starting in Tracy, Marshall, Walnut Grove, Ballatin, Russell, Lake Benton, whatever city you're from. They start there. But we're called to be disciples that go and make disciples. And we can go with a confidence and a boldness that most of us lack. We say evangelism, go and share, and we all get scared. I get scared. I'm supposed to go talk to somebody about Jesus? We'll look at it and see that it really shouldn't be a scary thing. This mic that hot? Turn me down. Can you all hear me in the back? Can you hear me way back in that corner? Really? Only like this? Okay, turn me up. No, just kidding. I'll quit breathing. We forget, go. I am with you always. Go. Be available. I'll work through you. I'll accomplish it. The Holy Spirit. Notice, 
As you read through the book of Acts, I want you to pay attention to this. Who makes the altar call when everybody gets saved? We're going to see thousands of people get saved in the book of Acts. Look who gives the altar call. For example, Peter's first sermon. Peter's giving this sermon. I always comment on how short the sermon was. I finally figured out why it was so short. He only got through point one. We're all supposed to have at least three points, right? He only got through point one. You know why? The people interrupted him. What must we do to be saved? Who made the altar call? Certainly wasn't Peter. He was on a roll. He was preaching up a storm by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. By the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you look at what he was preaching, that was not coming out of Peter's intellect. That wasn't coming out of his wisdom or knowledge. He was being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was talking about things. I bet when he was saying it, he went, wow, where did that come from? That is so amazing. And he's interrupted. And 3,000 people get saved. Peter's second sermon. He's preaching along, and all of a sudden, he really gets interrupted. This time, the religious leaders stop him and arrest him. Throw him in prison. Bad day? I don't think so. It says 2,000 people got saved. By whom? The Holy Spirit. Who made the altar call? The Holy Spirit. He was working on hearts. Truth was going forth. The Holy Spirit was taking truth. And the Bible says the truth will do what? Set you free. And they were receiving. 2,000 people get saved. Some of you will remember the story of Cornelius and his family. Paul goes, or Peter goes to them and, and he's speaking to them and it says, and while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, the whole family gets saved. Everybody, in, including Cornelius and his household, gets saved and gets baptized. While he was still speaking. Another story you might be familiar with in the book of Acts was when Paul and Silas were imprisoned. They're shackled in a prison cell. What do they do? They start worshiping, singing, praying. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake. The whole jail shakes. The shackles fall off of them. The guard assumes they've escaped, and he knows if they've escaped, I'm going to be in big trouble, so he's going to kill himself. And Paul just simply says, hey, don't do that. We're still here. And he goes, what must I do to be saved? The Holy Spirit doing the work through available servants. No altar call. No nothing. I'm not saying altar calls aren't good. But if the Holy Spirit's not working, the altar call is not going to be very fruitful. It's the altar call of the Holy Spirit on individuals' hearts. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was at work. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit created a new people, a church, the new, a new people, a new people related to the Lord, yes, but also related one to another. If we are Christians, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are adopted into the family of God, and you're sitting next to your brothers and sisters in Christ. He created a new people that never existed before in the history of mankind. The Holy Spirit created a new people, and the Holy Spirit formed the church, us, by a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the Holy Spirit had showed up throughout the Old Testament at different times. But now the Holy Spirit came, forms the church by living and dwelling in every single one of us. Still the most mind-boggling thing to think about. God, the, the Holy Spirit, lives in Mike and whoever you are. He lives there. What a power source we have living inside of us. The day of Pentecost, a new people, a new power. And if you're into programs, boy, did he create a new program. The church was no longer this group of people, the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. What was their primary mission? The feast days, the sacrifices, kill the animals, sprinkle the blood, and then let's do it over and over and over and over for hundreds of years. All of a sudden, we have this new people, the church, empowered by this new power, the Holy Spirit. And he gives us a new program. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. To the ends of the earth, go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I am with you always. He could almost paraphrase it and say, I will be with you, and I'm going to do all the work. You just be available. I'm going to change. You know, we can, you ever tried to, to lead someone to Christ by having a discussion, a debate, logically laying it out. I mean, really, from a Christian mindset, this is a no-brainer. Without Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell because you are going to live forever. With Jesus, you're going to live forever, and you're going to spend it in, spend it in heaven with all the angels before the throne of God or back over here, choice A, door A, Eternity in hell, eternal punishment, separation from God. Logically, which would you choose, A or B? And yet, they don't choose A. Our, our debating, our arguing won't work. It's the truth and then opened up by the Holy Spirit in the hearts and minds of people. It's the Holy Spirit at work. Our role and I'm going to stress this over and over as we look in the book of Acts. Our role is be available. Be an instrument that the Holy Spirit will work through. Go where he wills us to go. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily the ends of the earth. That may mean across the hall into somebody else's office where you work. It might mean go to Menards or Walmarts or the local grocery store. Wherever he wills you to go, go there. And even when you go there thinking you're just on a natural mission, you're just going to do something that you know you have to do to to -to day-to-day living, be listening, be available, be willing to speak because he will use what we say. He will use our testimonies. He will use the truth of the word of God to change hearts, to open minds. We need to remember that our availability Whatever the situation, the Holy Spirit can work. And we'll see how that works in just a few moments. And I know, because I feel this way all the time, and you have to resist this feeling, that you're just not quite prepared enough. You're just not quite good enough. You're not quite educated enough. My past kind of still disqualifies me from being. You know what? We're going to look at two guys in the book of Acts, we're going to look at first Peter and John, and we're going to look primarily in chapter 4, 
we're going to look at Peter and John. You know what? These guys weren't a whole lot different than you and me. They were a couple of fishermen, probably generations of fishermen. And they were just average guys trying to make a living fishing, support themselves, support their family. They really, really weren't anything special until they made themselves available and the Holy Spirit began to use them in powerful, powerful ways. When we look at them, we need to understand there's no guarantee of smooth sailing. Sometimes we get discouraged because we decide we're going to step out in faith. We think the Holy Spirit told us this. We, we're feeling led and, and, we, and we obey. And oh my gosh, it doesn't work very good. Sometimes it works really bad. Sometimes they, they laugh at us. Sometimes they mock us, make fun of us. Sometimes they tell us we're mindless idiots. So we figure, whoops, enough of that. I need somebody better than me, smarter than me to do this. But this is where Peter and John were, just fishermen trying to make a living. Ultimately called to go into all the world. Called to be world changers. Go to the ends of the earth. So on the day of Pentecost, very quick review. Day of Pentecost, they're waiting. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. As soon as they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak in tongues, and what happens? They get accused of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Well, Peter responds. He steps up. Bold Peter. Bold Peter, who denied Christ 50 days earlier, approximately. He steps up, and he preaches this sermon. The Holy Spirit interrupts, and 3,000 people get saved. hollering out, what must we do? Peter gives them a simple answer. You need to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you do that, you will receive the Holy Spirit. They got saved. A good day. 3,000 people got saved. A little while later, we see in chapter 4, Peter and John are heading to the temple, and they come across this lame beggar who's been lame since birth. And he sees them coming, and he's expecting them to to give him some silver or some coins, something that he's he's expecting. Peter simply says, you know, silver and gold, we don't have any of that stuff, but what we've got we'll give to you. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. They were making themselves available to the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm trying to think, boy, wouldn't that be cool? I'm thinking, then I think, whoa, boy, would I have said anything? Or when I looked at the, the lame guy over there and walked to the other side of the street, I said, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that one. But you're supposed to pray for him, Mike. Well, what if I pray and nothing happens? Then I'm going to look really stupid. I don't think it was easy for Peter and John and the rest of the apostles to do all the things they did. They're human in their flesh, but they were sold out and made themselves available. And they take him by the hand, and it says he jumps up. And he's leaping and dancing, and he's completely healed. A good day. 
another good day. Except there was a slight problem that day. The religious leaders weren't pleased with what took place. And it tells us that there was rulers and priests. I mean, if you look at the list there, it's Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas was there, all of the rulers, the whole Sanhedrin was there. And they arrest them. Well, the arrest happened too late because it said, you know, there was now 5,000 saved. And depending on how you read that, uh, another 2,000 got saved or another 5,000. I I believe personally it was another 2,000. But whichever way you want to go, that was a good day. Except they're arrested. And they're thrown in prison overnight. Was it a good day that ended badly? Was it a bad day? Or was it still a good day? The next morning, what do they do with these guys? Talk about intimidation. You take two uneducated fishermen. You bring them to the Sanhedrin. You stand them there, and you make a circle around them of the high priests, Caiaphas, all of the priests. Everybody's there surrounding you in a circle. What would you and I be doing in that circle? Shaking, trembling. Let's take a look at what happened. If you're reading chapter 4, you'll see in verse 7, the religious people, now remember this, the guy who's been lame since birth, about 40 years, is standing there with them, right before them. He's been in front of the temple every day. They know who he is. And they're seeing him no longer crippled or lame. They're seeing him standing there completely whole. They got a little problem. And then they're listening to Peter and John. And they challenge their authority. Big mistake. They say, by what power or in what name have you done this thing? Notice they did not deny the miracle in the least. How could they? The miracle standing before them. When you stand before somebody else sharing your faith, you are a miracle. You have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're a miracle. Your testimony is a miracle. We have a miracle right there. It may not be as obvious at first glance, but I bet there's a whole lot of people that look at you and go, God, you used to be different. I remember you. You're a miracle. So there's a miracle standing there, and the religious leaders, the elders, the rulers, the scribes, the whole crew, circle them, and then it says this, they observe the confidence of Peter and John. Two fishermen in front of all the religious leaders of the nation, all around you in a circle, trying to scare you and intimidate you to death. And they're looking at him and saying, look at the confidence of these two guys. Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit in them. And then when they confront them and they challenge them in whose name, guess what? Was it a bad day or a good day? Peter gets to preach to the whole leadership of the nation of the Jews. He gets to preach Jesus to them. Here it is, if I can find it real quick. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man, As to how this man has been made well, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all of the Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, who you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. How's that for a short sermon? What do you think it would have taken for Peter to get the opportunity and the privilege to stand before all the religious leaders of the entire Jewish nation and give the message? It couldn't have happened. He couldn't have got there. But what looked like a bad ending of a good day, your arrest turned into nothing but the glory of God being demonstrated. Why? Because they made themselves available. They stepped out in faith. They were willing to put themselves at risk, their reputations at risk. These poor, poor religious leaders, seeing this confidence, they perceive something in their great, great educations and training. They perceive that these two guys are uneducated and untrained. How many of you feel uneducated and untrained? That would be most of us, I would guess. I don't feel educated enough. I don't have enough experience. I'm uneducated and untrained. And that was absolutely true, right? Except for one thing. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Now, when we read that in our our English language, we miss a very significant meaning. When we think if they'd been with Jesus, that's like, well, I was with Mike. We went golfing together. What a religious high that was. Or the opposite of that. No, it doesn't mean we were just in close proximity to one another. That word in the Greek is, is spelled S-U-N like our son, only it's pronounced soon. And what, the, what it means is this. It denotes a union. It denotes the, the coming together as almost one. In composition, they have similar application, including completeness. When they have been with Jesus, they notice there has been a union with Jesus. And their application is as Jesus was. And I would guess about then, the religious leaders were going, oh, crap. Or whatever religious word you'd use. I thought we'd gotten rid of the problem when we killed Jesus. Now we've got these two and who knows how many more that are just like Jesus. That's all of us. The question is, does anybody recognize that you've been with Jesus? The world needs to recognize that we have been with Jesus. Not that we say we're Christians. Not that we say we go to church. No, that's not good enough. Do they see that there is something in us? There is a union with the Holy Spirit that we walk as an ambassador, yes, but we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are complete in Christ. In application, go and do the works that I did. And even greater works will you do when I go back to be with the Father. How in the world can I do greater works than Jesus? The Holy Spirit lives in me, dwells in me, wants to complete the work that Jesus did. We are to be advancing the kingdom. They recognized these guys have been with Jesus. We're the church. 
We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've been called to go, and he's promised to be with us always. We don't have to move with fear, trepidation. We can move in a confidence. As it said, they had a confidence. They saw they were confident. They recognized they were uneducated and untrained, but they noticed they had been with Jesus. Where you and I go, we are to be representing Christ. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, is to transform me and you into a greater and greater likeness of Jesus. And to do this, we do have to spend time with him. We do need to be in prayer. We do need to be reading the word. We do need to be meditating on the word. We do need to be developing our sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But remember, he's in us, living in us. We don't need to be intimidated. They had confidence. And when you look at these people, because it can be discouraging when we're going out and being the evangelists that we're called to be, it can be discouraging when people don't respond, but look at, look at these guys. They had a living example standing right before them of the power of God. This man who had been lame for 40 years standing right there. And they chose to not believe. Why? Self-interest, position, pride. Most people's reason for rejecting the truth is very similar. Self-interest, their position, whatever it is, their pride. And there's an enemy trying to keep them in bondage. And they chose not to do anything. But what did they choose to do? This is amazing to me. They've got a miracle standing over here, a man who'd been lame for 40 years that they'd all seen in front of the temple every single time they came to the temple. And then there's this crowd outside. You know, they looked at him and they didn't know what to do, so they told him all to leave. <laughs> they just get, go outside. They made the, the crippled guy that was now healed go outside. They, they made the, uh, Peter and John, you guys go outside. We've got to confer together. And after they got past the holy crap, I think they went, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What did they decide to do? Well, the people all saw this miracle, and if we punish them, I mean, what are we going to punish them for? They were more, more afraid of the crowd and what people think than they were of what God wanted and what God had done. Boy, again, I think there can be a similarity in our own lives. We're more afraid of what the people think or what the people will do or what the people will say then we are afraid of God's command to go and make disciples of all nations, starting in your Jerusalem. So what did they do? They called them back in and made a threat. Don't you even speak or teach in the name of this man. Jesus. A threat. Trying to intimidate and when they told them this, their answer was kind of, are you kidding me? <laughs> Paraphrase now. <laughs> are you kidding me? Wait a minute. Here's the choice you're giving us. We're supposed to listen to God, the creator, the sustainer of life, the one who died for us, and, and we're supposed to listen to you instead of him? 
They said, you be the judge who we should listen to. We're going to listen to God. And what happens? They get out of this Sanhedrin thing. They've been released from jail. And it says they go back and they tell all of the church, tell these believers exactly what happened. We were arrested. We were called in front of the Sanhedrin. And all of these things that took place, these threats were made. A little sidebar. Just give me a minute to jump over the sidebar. Bright lights are good. They don't allow me to see the clock, so I think I just started. But a little sidebar. They had everybody leave, right, the Sanhedrin, why they conferred. Question is this. How did Luke know what they talked about? So he could write about it in the book of Acts. Let me just offer some people's suggestion. I think it's a good one. There was probably a young, young Jewish leader in the making in that Sanhedrin named Paul. Saul at the time, who became a Christian. He probably shared all of this. And I throw that little tidbit in there just for this reason. Because they were arrested, because they got called in front of the Sanhedrin to be threatened, they got to share the message of Jesus Christ with the future apostle Paul. Who knows how far your story, your testimony, your sharing with someone else might go. We never know. Okay, back to the scene. You decide whose opinion, and I guess that's another question for us, whose opinion do you care the most about? The people's or the Lord's? When we break it down and just filter it all down and we come to that, whose opinion do I, do I, do I fear the most? You know what? I want to just be obedient because he loved me so much. I love him back and I'm going to be obedient and share. So when you look at this story in chapter 4 in the book of Acts, it's full of it. I'm looking forward to the, the rest of the summer. In this situation that appeared to be a bad experience, appeared to be negative in the natural. They're sharing, they get arrested, do all these things. Just look at this short list that I could put together of some things that happened that God used. 2,000 more people got saved, or 5,000, depending how you read it. That's a pretty good deal. In verse 8 it said, And Peter was filled again with the Holy Spirit. That's never a problem. They continually are getting filled. As you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. The miracle of this lame beggar was confirmed, basically, by a bunch of hostile examiners. They didn't want him to be healed, and yet they confirmed that he really was Confused the enemies of Jesus, the religious leaders, they were confused. They didn't even know what to do. And Peter and John's boldness increases all the more. And in this whole situation, God is glorified. So going back to the new church, I mean, you'd think this might have put a damper on the new church. It didn't put a damper on it at all, did it? It says, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures here in uh, verses 29 through 31. And think about what's happened. They've been threatened, commanded not to talk about Jesus. 
And in, in verse 24, before the section I'm going to read, it says, They heard this, they lifted their voices to prayer in God and with one accord and unity. So here they are in face of opposition. What do they do? They prayed. What did they pray for? More boldness. More power. Verse 29, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservant may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed together, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit rises up. I mean, really, what did they pray for? More persecution, more trouble, more problems, all for the glory of God. It's almost like they looked at each other and said, can you believe this? We get to suffer for Jesus. It doesn't get any better than this. We're becoming more like him every day. Let's pray, and let's pray that they want us to hide. Let's pray for more boldness. Let's pray for more confidence. Let's pray that we get in more trouble. I mean, what would we be praying like in the natural after we got out of jail? Thank you, Lord, for getting me out of that mess. I'm never going to do that again. Give me wisdom so I don't do anything so stupid. No, God, give me more confidence. Give me more boldness. Let me suffer for him. And that's what they did. They weren't so different than you and me. We have the same call to go make disciples. He will be with us always till the end of the age. We have, this, we have the exact same promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. All it requires is making ourselves available. Making ourselves available to whatever it is he calls us to, to fulfill the great commission through us. The Holy Spirit will work through us. The question we need to ask over and over is, whose opinion matters more? The opinion of man or the opinion of God? And again, I just want to take a few seconds there. The opinion of God is not something we consider with fear and trembling, that he's going to whoop on us, beat on us, or give us sickness and disease and whatever. That's not it at all. God will use somebody else. He, tr- he really, really, really doesn't need me per se because he'll use somebody else. But because of what he did out of love for us, we want to be obedient out of love for him. And when you do, there's just great blessing. So whose opinion matters more? The one over here, the people are going to take you and shut you up, make you feel stupid if you do anything, ever say anything. Or the one over here that says, just listen and obey and you're going to be so blessed by responding to me in obedience. We're God, we are part of God's new people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we have been given that commission to go and make disciples. And that's what we need to do. I love that scripture, and depending on your translation, but it says something like this, and the world was turned upside down by these guys. They were world changers. You and I are called to be world changers. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I would love to have that reputation. Man, oh man, Mike wasn't much, but boy, was he a world changer. Wouldn't that be cool? If that's the way everybody looked at us, They turned the world upside down. They turned southwest Minnesota upside down. World changers. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the word of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, death, burial, resurrection. 
I thank you that we get to be a part of what you are doing in the earth today. God, that your kingdom will advance. Father, your kingdom is advancing. Lord, help us to not let our eyes get on the natural things, the circumstances, all the trouble, all the mess that's out there in the world. God, help us to look at it as an opportunity to spread the kingdom where people are discouraged and in despair that we have the words of hope, we have the words of life. God, that we can be world changers in the sphere of influence that you give us whether it's in our workplace or our little communities or you, you take us to other places, let us always be sensitive to your Holy Spirit that we would be available. God, that we could have the great privilege, the great joy, the, the amazing blessing of being part of what you're doing in southwest Minnesota and beyond. Lord, I pray today as we go our different directions, you would watch over us, keep us safe, continue to guide and direct us by your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear, Father, to, to hear your voice. That wherever we go, wherever you lead us, we would be quick to share the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you have entrusted it to us, your church. And God, I do thank you and praise you that while all this is going on, we still have that promise that you're coming back. You are going to return for your church, and we will spend eternity with you. We thank you and ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.